Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Today we're going to start a new mini-series as we are uh, still uh, in the new year, the first month of new year. So, um, you know, it's something that God pressed on my heart to share as I was praying for the year 2022. And every, every year, uh, I spend some time in, in, in the last t- couple of months, end of the year, and I'm just really discerning what it is God, that God is placing on our hearts, that we as a rooftop church, as one body that we can pursue, that we can be mindful of uh, throughout the whole year. And, and the word that God placed on my heart was, a radical obedience, and that's the theme that we are going to pursue throughout this coming year or throughout the, the rest of this year. So um, it happens to be also one of our core values of our church, and we want to just simply see the importance or necessity of not only understanding, but living our relationship with God that is premised in our obedience unto Him. And I just want to share a uh, Uh, A short paragraph that I I came across this week Uh, is from Craig O. Dictionary of the Bible and Theology, and this is what he has to say about obedience. Obedience to God means acknowledging Christ's lordship over every sphere of life and practicing his law of love in the strength of the Holy Spirit. For Christians who are under grace, God's command of obedience is power by love for him and a fuller knowledge of his perfect wisdom. Individuals redeemed by Christ are purchased by God and so have the obligation to serve as a slave to a master. You know, when we talk about obedience, when we talk, when we consider some of the languages that are used in describing the concept of obedience, these aren't necessarily the comforting words. These aren't necessarily the words that convey the natural and, and, and the, the natural instincts or the habits of human beings. But obedience is such that in our relationship with God is one of the most important ingredients that allows us, that allows us to experience God, that allows us to increase in our continual knowledge of knowing who God is. And this is certainly not easy for us because of our tendency to disregard and not prioritize God's command for us was evident from the very beginning of humanity. And it is often the reason for our lostness even today. So today, we simply want to move towards uh, uh, from life of selfishness, life of where uh, uh, self-sufficiency, where we are content in discerning for ourselves, we determine how to live our life, but rather move from this self-centeredness, now moving on to the life of obedience, where we are more mindful of what God has for us, where we are more pursuing of what God's plan and desire for us, and actually heeding the words of Christ and God in and through our lives. So again, I call it a mini-series, but because we want to spend just a few weeks, not very long, but I really feel like in this day and age, this concept of obedience unto God is very important. And if we're lacking seeing power and transformation in our lives, perhaps, perhaps it could be that 
we are not as mindful heeding the Word of God. All right, with that said, would you turn your Bibles with me to the first Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Just one verse today. All right? And this is the reading of God's word. uh, uh, Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Let me me read uh, for us the last phrase again. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Church, let's bow our heads in prayer before we begin. God, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place as we gather here in the online space. God, I pray that you would lead us today onto the path of obedience unto you. God, in all the moments where we have discerned for ourselves what is good, God, I pray that you and your voice be the leading force in all of our lives today. God, today that we would understand, God, that we would accept a life of obedience unto you. Holy Spirit, I know that, that, that we resist in much part, God. So God, I pray that we ask for your help and God, may, may we be not just mere hearers of the word, but God, may we be doers of your holy word. And God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Saul is the king of Israel. Saul is just not a king for Israel. Saul was the very first king of all the nation of Israel. For centuries, the, the Israelites have spent living a pretty good life. They were quite content. Sure, there were ups and downs, and they were being led through different trials of their lives. They were also enslaved to the powerful nation of Egypt, and God used the leaders of Moses, Joshua, Caleb. They led them, uh, he led them out of Egypt, and they spent many uh, seasons uh, being their own nation, but those, those times were not easy for them. They were constantly under the attacks of more powerful nations. And, and, and Israelites, they looked around. What is the common thing that they saw among the more powerful nations that kept invading them? And every single one of these nations and tribes had a very solid king. And they had kings. So even though that God uh, uh, led the nation of Israel through different leaders... And judges, if we read through the book of Judges, the leaders of Israel were called judges. So the people of God said, you know what? God, we want a king. Everyone else in in this world has a king except us. God, we want a king. So they demand a king, and they say, you know what? We get to choose for ourselves who the first king should be for Israel. So God lets them be in his loving nature, and so the people of Israel went out and searched for this amazing king, and they landed on this young man, and his name was Saul. And these are the very descriptions of Saul, that we know very few things in an introduction of the character of Saul, but this is what we know of, that Saul came from a very wealthy family, 
And the biblical description of Saul was he was tall, dark, and handsome. I mean, we, we as, as a man, that is often the description that I've... No, just kidding. Um, but these are the descriptions that we want to hear as men. That man, If someone refers to you, we want to be tall, we want to be dark, and we want to be handsome. And Saul was all of those things. Plus, he came from a very reputable and wealthy family. So the people of Israel say, God, we want a king, and this man Saul should be the king. And God had his... Uh, reservations about Saul. And it wouldn't take long why God himself was not necessarily pleased with their selection of Saul being their first king. And, And his thing, or Saul's thing, was this. Saul had this tendency of disregarding what God had instructed him and, and I guess we can say disobedience, or, or I, you know, I think it's more fitting to say Saul just couldn't care less what people thought or God thought of what should be done. So Saul always placed himself in deciding for himself what was good, what was right. In the text that we read today, Israel is about to go into the battle with the Amalekites. And there were specific instructions from God, and God was sending Saul at the forefront of the battle, and God was sending them, but he gave Saul and the Israelites very specific instructions through prophet Samuel. And this is what God had conveyed to Saul. I want you to destroy everything, all that they have, and do not spare anyone, kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. I don't know if there are other animals in the land, but, you know, but those animals were spared. But God was very specific to Saul, say, when you see, when you conquer them, and I'm going to empower you to conquer the land. But upon conquering the land, I want you to utterly destroy everything. The word utterly actually is mentioned seven times describing what God had commissioned Saul and the nation of Israel to do. So the idea was total and complete annihilation of the Amalekites. So surely Saul rolls into this battlefield and Saul is victorious. Saul is like, man, he's like winning. And it's not even an even match. So he handily... Uh, uh, defeats the Amalekites, but Saul disregards a specific command of God. What did God say? God said, you know what, destroy everything. Utterly destroy everything. You know, when was the last time that you heard uh, the term utterly destroy everything? Meaning there shouldn't be a remnant of what it once was. But Saul saw the land and he felt like this. Man, there are too many good things. Sure, Saul killed some of the people there, but when he saw the fattened rams, the cattle that were rich and all these crops and all these valuable things, that he said, you know what? It it would go to waste. Why kill off all of these things? We could surely benefit from having some of these to ourselves. So Saul discerned for himself at that moment, and he decided to not destroy you know what this is? You know, I don't have to explain, but it, let's say you're a contractor and you've been sent on a commission to, you know what, do some demolition work. 
Before building your new house, your job is to simply go in and destroy everything. No matter what you find, your job is to destroy everything. Now you go, you go in. But the house is pretty well furnished. The house looks like it's been lived in. And you enter the bedroom, you see, you know what? They have nice sheets, nice pillows, they have nice clothes. And you look over to the, uh, uh, the, the closets and what do you, the, the dressers, their jewelries left out, money, even, you even see cash. And you just look at it, well, no one, they told me that none of this should be left behind. So me, when you see it, hey, let's go take some of these things because I can surely use them. But that is not the assignment, was it? That was not the assignment. Your job was to go and destroy everything. Do not leave anything behind or keep anything for yourself. But Saul decides for himself. And, and you know what, Saul, this was not the first time he did this. Actually, Saul's character was displayed in chapter 13 when they were about to go into battle and they were waiting for Prophet Samuel to lead them through the ceremony of giving uh, burnt offerings unto the Lord. For whatever reason, Prophet Samuel was delayed in arriving to the scene. So Saul, out of impatience, Saul thought, what's the big idea? What's the big deal? Hey, I'm the king here. Hey, I'm the man in charge. I have all the power and authority. So he puts on a vest that belongs to only the priest, and he's, he handles the uh, sacrificial ceremony unto God. And that was also a concerning sign displayed by Saul. So he has this nature, Saul had this nature of no matter what God has conveyed to him, at the end of the day, he put himself in the place of making the decision and that his thought, his desire would out, uh, outweigh or supersede that of the Lord's. Friends, let me just pause here for a moment and, and just kind of check ourselves here. Aren't we not like this? Are we not oftentimes like Saul? Are we, are we not like this in the course of our lives? When we begin our journey, we have absolutely no problem, no issue. In fact, we ask God. In fact, we beg of God. Say, God, show us what it is that we should do. Show us your ways. Show us your plans. So we inquire all of these things from God, and we, indeed we receive the word from the Lord, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is a path that I'm setting you on. But surely after, you know, we forget that it was God that led us here, and we certainly, like, all of a sudden, we don't like the way that God is leading us. We don't like the timing of things that God is allowing things to happen. So we say, hold on, God, time out, God. Well, well, well you, you're good for now. I think you've done enough for now. Well, let me take charge from this point on because I think I could figure out what is best for me. So whether it be in patience and all of a sudden the trust that we had in God, we don't need God as much. There's a mistrust and all of a sudden we had no problem when we we're in complete mess. We're like, God, please show us. When things improve just a little bit, it's like, God, no, 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 no. I will figure out the rest of the way. And we discern 
and we reinterpret the Word of God, and we reapply it in the way that benefit us, in the way that we are more familiar with, in the way that cater to more of our needs and our wants. All right, let me get back to Paul here. So God is seeing all of this. God is seeing what Saul is doing. And God had seen what Saul was capable of doing. And this is what God says in verse 10 and 11. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Friends, how many times do you read through the Bible and that God has regrets? God is literally saying, you know what? You know what God is saying? God is saying, I wish, king, I, I wish Saul was not the king. I wish that my people had not lobbied for him. I wish all of these things that are placed, uh, happening right now, I wish none of these things had even started. Because he went from following me, he went from carrying out my commands, and now disobeying what I have to say. And because of this, Prophet Samuel was greatly distressed. He was mad stressed out in modern-day language. He was bugging out. He was like going crazy here. So he confronts King Saul. Hey, king. He's still a king, right? And, and, and I think, you know, king and Saul, I mean, I mean prophet, right? So he's still the king. Say, hey, King Saul, hey, why did you do this? Why did you not obey God? God gave you specific instructions. And Saul's response to Samuel's challenging of his actions was that, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I, I, I disobeyed God. What are you talking about? I completely, I, I obeyed God. I went in and destroyed the Amalekites. Oh, by the way, I just happened to save some of the things that I knew that could be useful for our kingdom. And the main passage that we have read earlier, so it's Sam, uh, not Sam, Samuel's response to King Saul's defense of the accusation of you have disobeyed. And he said, Has the Lord much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So Samuel was telling King Saul, saying, Saul, no matter what you can give unto the Lord, think about all the offerings Think about conjuring up all of your possessions and all the productions that is fine and of high quality. Do you think any of this would outweigh the pleasure of the Lord that you are to live your life in obedience unto Him? And it says so plainly, he says this, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Dear brothers and sisters of Rooftop Church, I want to convey these words to you today. To obey is better than sacrifice, friends. Let me say that again. To obey the Lord is better than your offerings. To obey the Lord is better than any sacrifices, any gifts that you have ever thought about giving unto the Lord.
It's more precious in the eyes of God that you and I inquire of the Lord and understand and discern what that word is for, you, for us and to live a life of complete obedience unto Him. You know, this little exchange between Saul and Samuel reveals to us what God truly desires from all of us. You know, why does Saul's actions, uh, uh, why is Saul's actions so important for us to talk about? You see, the question that you and I need to lean into today is, what does disobedience convey? And what is disobedience an indication of? And I'm just going to quickly go over these things. It conveys, our disobedience conveys mistrust. Our disobedience unto God conveys our pride, our selfishness. Meaning, our disobedience unto God conveys that my way is supreme. There's no need for any other opinions. And thank you, but no thank you. I don't need your help. Thank you, but... I will figure out what needs to be done. And it's quite interesting because Saul's problem displayed in 1 Samuel chapter 15 or the issue of disobedience is actually the genesis of the human problem with God. This is what I mean. The very first conflict that we see in the humanity and between humanity and God is the same reason that what we are seeing in the context of Saul and God here. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read for us verses 1 to 3. Now the serpent was more crafty, crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. This is a very famous account, right? In the Garden of Eden, in a place called pleasure, in the place called delight, in the place called, I think, transliteration is pleasure and perfection. In such place, the very first conflict that we see in humanity is that God had told them, you know what, you have everything at your disposal. You could do whatever it is that you desire in this place called Eden. Just one thing, just keep in mind, this tree in the middle, this very tree in the middle, and I'm letting you know this one, and God pointed out, God highlighted it. God put like thousand arrows pointing to that tree. This tree, you cannot touch. The fruit of this tree, you shall not eat. Call it curiosity. Call it the temptation of the serpent. But you know what? If you ask me the very reason for, I don't know why I'm looking at it, the camera is right here. The very reason why Adam fell into this temptation at that moment, the reason for Adam's failure is that he had put himself, I now have no regard for God's word. 
even for that split second, he deemed that his evaluation, his judgment, his thoughts, and his desires would absolutely outweigh the voice and the command of God. Adam disobeys. The Bible calls this the fall of man. And that disobedience caused or revealed the, the shameful nature of the humankind. And as soon as he uh, took the fruit, he discovered himself, he immediately hid, and he covered himself with leaves, and that became the beginning of being driven out from a place called delight, a garden that represented harmonious, intimate relationship with God. And man would spend, the humanity would spend the rest of their lives discerning, judging, and, and, and doing everything that we can to be brought back or be restored onto that relationship with God. Pursuit of self was the cause of the fall of man. Disobedience, lack of, what is it, lack of commitment to honor God's word, trivializing what God's input is in our lives, that led to the fall and the demise of man. Friends, I think we have to be very careful because if we, for whatever reason, find ourselves that where we prioritize our feelings, our thoughts, and, and our decision-making abilities, and that we may be very prone being so far away from the will and the desires of our God. And there's certainly a parallel for Adam and us. You know, James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I thought first, I'm like, well, pride, pride is the word, or that, that word proud is something that we are familiar with. Pride, I, we know that God does not like. And I was kind of surprised to find that proud, that word proud was only mentioned three times in all of the New Testament. And the word, the same word that is described in James chapter 4, 6 is found also in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Boastful, revilers, and arrogant. If you look over in Luke chapter 1, verse 51, it says, He has scattered the proud in their hearts. So when I discern the three of all of these three contexts, and the definition and the meaning of pride is that. There is no room for other voices. There is no room for other inputs, meaning pride suggests that there is no opportunity for input or change. Isn't it interesting, friends, that God says God opposes the proud. God rejects, God denies those that there is no room for the inputs and the ways of God.
going back to Saul, he decided for himself that I will obey God up to this point, and then the rest I will discern for myself. You know, oftentimes I find myself doing something very similar. This is what we do. This is what we do sometimes. We do what we want. We decide for ourselves what's good, what we pursue, what we seek, and what we desire, and we build. And we are committed to excellent work, and we thrive in those things, in in our own pursuits. And we come back to God and say, God, these are the fruits of my labor. These are the results of my hard work. And God, I'm going to give you all of these things. So we lift all of these things as an offering, as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And I wonder if God on the other side, in a position to receive and field all of our sacrifices and offerings unto the Lord, and I wonder and I wonder if he says the same words conveyed to King Saul. What I'm looking from you is not offering. What I desire from you is not sacrifices. What I'm longing the most from you is that we get placed on this relationship where you inquire of me, where you are most interested and where you are most committed to discover what I have planned and willed for you. And my desires become your desires. My ways and plans become your highest and utmost priority. And that you and I begin to journey as completely aligned. And when you are, you begin to feel the pleasure of me. Friends, let me tell you something. You know, when we, when we survey the journey and the purpose of the nation of Israel, let, let, let's go back and assess this journey into and, and living in this promised land, right? So for, for the Israelites, the end goal or the purpose or the end goal was what? The promised land. And the method of getting into the promised land was obeying God's commands, following God's commands, being God's people. Because in their perspective, when we are God's people, when we obey God, at the end of our obedience is the land of flowing milk and honey and grapes Clusters, size of human heads, so big that two people have to carry on poles. That was the end picture. Now, that was from the perspective of the Israelites. But I want to ask this question. Was that the same for God? I think it's quite the opposite. 
the end goal for God, the end takeaway for God is what? That Israel be God's people. That Israel become the people of obedience so that they may live in the promises. Now the promised land, the land of milk and honey and humongous grapes, that was just a method of the Israelites becoming God's people. Friends, what does God desire from you? What does God desire from you more today? I, please, I'm not saying that God is not going to be joyful in the, in the way that you thrive, in the way that you succeed, in the way that you live your life very fruitfully. I'm not saying that. God, God's not hating on you, all right? But I'm asking you the very important question. What does God desire more? What is more important than God? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Brothers and sisters at Rooftop, I pray that you may commit to the life of living a radical obedience unto the Lord. Obedience may not come easy. You know, for the next few weeks, we will unpack some of the story, wonderful stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. When we think of obedience, we think of guys like Noah. Oh, yeah, man, he had it pretty hard, didn't he? He, he was called uh, the crazy man. What about, what about Abraham? He, he lived a life of obedience. He was also what? He was not considered the most reasonable. He thought, God, you're pretty crazy. Right? At, the, at the age of 75, I want to be a first-time dad. Come on now. A man of obedience. What about Moses? What about all the prophets? What about Prophet Hosea? What about the disciples that we, are, that we find in the Gospels? What about this amazing man of faith named Paul? All of these men and women of God, they have lived a life of complete obedience unto him. I pray that the word of God, the will of God, may be restored as the guiding light and guiding voice for all of our lives. As Before I close my sermon today, I'm going to just uh, uh, go over these things. These are some of the signs that we know that we are not necessarily walking in obedience, all right? Just go, go uh, over a few of these things with me. Signs that you are not walking in obedience. First is self-sufficiency. Uh, you are someone that are quite self-sufficient. You know, th there's really no need, uh, no apparent need for God. And there is complete satisfaction in the way you do life. You, you are quite content. There, there's, no, there's no room that you know, it's like, it, it's all right. God is not really necessary in the equation of your life. Um, and, 
And this, uh, it, it's the pursuit of self. It's, it, it's this idea of that, you know what? I'm going to continue to live my life the way that I deem fit. And God is merely unhel- a help. God is merely an additive to what I already have contently established for myself and by myself. I figure out everything. God just slide over to the passenger seat. In fact, I actually prefer you in the rear seat because that way I could get a clear view of what you're doing. But God, I'm not going to actually resort to you. If you find yourself in such place, you're very content without much reliance on God, I don't necessarily think that you're living a life of obedience unto Him. If you're living a life of obedience, God's voice, God's involvement is absolutely evident in your life. Second, you are insecure. If you live your life right now in constant doubt and perpetual fear, and you guess everything, you second guess everything, because you're constantly placed in a position to decide and discern for yourself, and you know what? I mean, we may be good decision makers, but when it's constant, when it involves big-time decisions concerning our lives, man, it's difficult, isn't it? So we're a little bit insecure, we're a little bit fearful, and it's all because we spent less time discerning what God has to say, what God has to convey to us, and we put all of that pressure on ourselves because we have to figure out. If for whatever reasons... You are fearful. You are insecure in your life today. Maybe God is calling you to, you know what? Let me invite you into my presence. Inquire of me, son. You don't have to take all the burdens. You don't have to take on all this load upon your shoulders. Lean into me. Third and last, mood swings. I feel like I'm doing a TV commercial. Are you somebody who's insecure? Are you somebody who's self-sufficient? You have mood swings today? I say mood swings because, again, kind of tied into the second one. When you're not dependent upon God, when God is no longer the leading voice in your life, there's zero peace. There's no way that your confidence, there's no way that peace resides that lasts a long time. How can there be? How can there be? Peace comes from God. You and I, our ability to rest comfortably is knowing that God has, uh, God has us in the palm of His hands and, and, and not in a crazy, controlling, uh, aggressive, and, and, and attack, uh, aggress- uh, what is it? attacking way. But God has us in his, at the palm of His hands fully securing us. And when we know that, there's absolute peace. And I don't know who you are. Maybe all of these three things apply to you. Maybe one of them, maybe just two. But I pray that you may commit yourself to the life of obedience unto God, starting today. So, let me wrap up. Radical obedience. I say radical because, again, obedience is a very difficult thing. It is not in the human nature. It is not necessarily in our DNA to obey somebody, obey anything or anybody. 
We don't like authorities. We don't like rules and guidelines. We don't like regulations. We don't like to be told what to do. Heck, on our way to church, how many traffic violations did we commit? We have this nature to disregard the voices, the opinions of others. And I pray, Rooftop Church, dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, I want us to experience God in a deeper and more profound way. And for us to do that is that we begin to inquire of what He speaks to us, what He desires from us and for us. And we begin this wonderful life, a life of obedience. Let's close. Uh, if I could have the praise team to come on up. And friends, let's pray. And my questions as we leave, yeah, we're leaving church, right? Uh, leaving the virtual church today. Would you pray with me? Simple prayer. God, what is it that you desire? What is it that you have set for me? What is it that you want to accomplish? And these are important questions because I think we have misunderstood the formula where we call upon God merely to help us in all the things that we want to do. That is not the relationship that God has set for us. He said from the very beginning, I am your God. I am the creator of the universe. I am the creator of you. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And that plan is to prosper you. That plan is to carry you faithfully to the very end of time. Would you lean into me? Would you make room for me? Would you slide over so that I can take the center seat of your life? So God, we pray. God, we pray again so much more than just understanding. But God, we pray for faith, faith that would arise. And God, we begin to experience the wonderful blessings and the pleasures of living a life of obedience. Forgive us for being so selfish. Forgive us for being so distrusting. Forgive us for being so proud many times where we have not made room for you. So God, today, come. Come into our lives. God, lead our lives. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.